0: As Jesus passed on there, two blind men followed him, cr- crying aloud, "Have mercy on us, Son of David." When he entered the house, the blind man came to him, and Jesus said to them, "Do you believe that I am be able to do this they, they said to him, "Yes, Lord." When he touched their eyes, saying According to your faith be it done to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus started and warned them, seeing that no one knew about it, but they were always in the spray as fame through it all district. As they were going away, behold a demon a prince, a man who was mute was brought to him, and that when the demon had been cast out, the mutant man spoke, and the crowd marble said, "Never was anything like this seen in Israel." But the princes said that he cast out demons by the prince of demons.
1: When I was in college, I got glasses. I could see fine without them, and I didn't think I needed them. But after years of headaches and complaining that, yeah, some things were a little blurry, I guess, I finally got a pair, and I realized what I had been missing. You know how people draw trees with just that outline, all jagged and tree-like, but not totally accurate? That's kind of what I saw. When I put my glasses on for the first time, I was blown away. I could see leaves pine needles, waves and reflections on water, the puffy shading in clouds. I could see strands of hair and color in people's eyes. I spent all week moving my glasses up and down and seeing all of the difference that they made. I could finally see what I'd been missing. Sight is an indispensable sense. But even if our eyes work, we might not truly see. We often miss the big picture, the work that God is doing. We can get caught up with our eyes focused on things right in front of us, or we're focused on ourselves at the expense of the people around us. Without God's intervention, we may see with our eyes, but be blind to what he is doing and what he calls us into. Are you weighed down this season? Do you have aches and longings and desires that can't be satisfied? What are you searching for? Maybe the trouble we face is that our eyes are not truly open to see the things we need to see. Maybe we are still in the dark. Today, I hope to show you that knowing Jesus necessarily changes every aspect of our lives. As we enter God's word, we're going to meet a handful of men who needed God to give them sight, not just physically, but spiritually. We've just heard the scripture read of Jesus healing two blind men and a demon-possessed man. So if you haven't yet, open your Bible or your Bible app to Matthew 9, starting in verse 27. Jesus had just raised a dead 12-year-old girl to life and healed a diseased woman of her 12-year-long affliction. We covered those stories last week. Jesus returned the young girl to her physical family and brought the woman into his own spiritual family, calling her daughter. He demonstrated that he is Lord over death And Lord over disease. Last weekend, Pastor Willie preached that desperation drives us toward faith. So you could say that Jesus is Lord in our desperation, too. Today's passage shows us a few more desperate acts of faith. So let's get going together. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. Here we meet two desperate blind men. They're stuck in the darkness of their infirmity. What is most significant is the title they use to call out to Jesus, son of David. Why would they identify Jesus with David? David is a central figure of Jewish history, prophecy, and hope. He was a warrior king, fighting the enemies of God and bringing peace and prosperity to Israel. He was not without flaw, but the Old Testament says he was a man after God's own heart. God made a covenant with David, a promise that David's family line would always sit on the throne of Israel, that a future descendant would be the eternal king over all things. 2 Samuel 7 records this covenant. It says, "'When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever.'" David's son Solomon would go on to build the temple for God, but Solomon eventually died. How could God make a promise to establish his throne forever? This promise became a hope for the Jews that a special deliverer would come to finally save Israel. This deliverer would be specially anointed by God, which is where the word Messiah comes from. Wrapped up in this promise was the belief that not only would the Messiah bring peace, and rule to Israel, this deliverer would also save Israel and the world from the clutches of sin and death, the one who would redeem us back to God. Son of David is one of Matthew's ways of showing his original audience, the Jews, the ones who would recognize this title, that Jesus is the Messiah. In the very first verse of this firsthand account, Matthew wrote the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. In today's reading, we have the first declaration from a member of the crowd who calls Jesus son of David. As Matthew continued recording the life of Jesus, he wrote no less than five other times this title was used for Jesus. In Matthew 12, 23, after another healing, the people ask, Can this be the son of David? In 1522, Jesus was visited by a Canaanite woman who sought his mercy to rid his daughter, her daughter of a demon. She called him, O Lord, son of David. In chapter 20, we have a story of more blind men crying out for mercy from Jesus, and they too call him Lord and son of David. Chapter 21, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, a week before his death on the cross, and the crowds are shouting and cheering, Hosanna to the son of David. We also see the chief priests recognizing the crowd's belief that Jesus was this Messiah and plotting to kill Jesus. Finally, in a quiet interlude in chapter 22, Jesus asked his disciples whose son the Christ was, and they proclaimed he would be the son of David. Jesus was fulfilling prophecy concerning the work of the Messiah. Even John the Baptist, who proclaimed the coming of the Messiah and pointed to Jesus as the one was unsure at one time if he really was the one. In response, Jesus directed John to the miracles and signs that Jesus was performing. In Luke 7, Jesus says, Go and tell John what you have seen and what you have heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Over the past few weeks, We have recounted the testimonies of a leper receiving the touch of Jesus and being healed. Paralyzed men, lame men, unable to walk, now able to walk. A dead girl being raised to life. A woman healed of her bleeding. Two blind men receiving sight. And demons being cast out, restoring men to health. These are messianic miracles. Jesus is the long-awaited son of David. He is the one who would rule forever on David's throne, and it's through him that all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And it is he who would crush the head of the serpent, defeating Satan and sin and death, and restoring us to our loving creator and father in heaven. Knowing Jesus is the one we've waited for brings assurance. Stories of Jesus' miracles were spreading all over the region. These blind men seem to associate the things they've heard about Jesus with this prophecy. And they believed that he would show them mercy, even to heal their eyes. So they pursued Jesus. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Jesus entered a house. And they managed to find their way to the door. These blind men pulled themselves inside past the crowds that were no doubt still swarming Jesus. These men could not see with their eyes, but they didn't have to. God had opened the eyes of their hearts to perceive that Jesus was more than meets the eye. I see echoes of Hebrews 11 in these men. Now faith is being sure of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. These men could not see Jesus, yet they had heard the works and they knew the stories of his miracles. They had heard enough to believe that Jesus could answer their need as well. It seems, though, that Jesus made these blind men wait to receive their healing. Why didn't he just heal them on the way to the house? Why did they have to follow him into the house? Maybe you have similar questions about Jesus. We don't always receive answers to our struggles, our doubts, our needs, Our pleas, at least not right away. We endure hardship and pain and cry out to Jesus, but at times we feel that we're still in the dark, without His comfort or hope. Is that you today? It seems almost cruel that Jesus would force blind men to find their way to Him instead of stopping for them. What could be the point of making them wait? Some commentators suggest that it was to prove their faith true that they truly believed Jesus was the one, the only one who could help them. Let's hold that question for now. I believe we get the answer at the end of the story. When asked if they believed, the blind men made no plea. They didn't condition their faith in Jesus with anything. They simply said, yes, Lord. They had nowhere else to turn. This was it. Jesus was all they had. To call Jesus Lord speaks to his authority. These men submitted themselves to Jesus, expecting him to have power over them. He would do what he wanted with them, and they believed that he would heal them. Their statement is simple. Their belief, unconditional. You can do it. Do we believe like these men? How often we condition our belief. How often we demand things of God instead of submitting ourselves to him. We try to make deals with God. Jesus, if you do this... I'll never doubt you again, or something similar. Have you prayed a prayer like that? Although Jesus waited to heal them, they still believed him capable and obviously believed him willing, even if it would take some time or persistent plea. Only Jesus can satisfy our needs and fill us with the life we so desperately desire. We will always have needs. But having Jesus allows us to respond differently to our needs because we have a reliable and proven Savior who is for us. Knowing Jesus frees us to see differently. So how did Jesus respond? Did he make them wait again? Then he touched their eyes saying, according to your faith, be it done for you. According to your faith. In both stories today, faith plays a critical role. In the first, it's the faith of the blind men themselves. In the second, which we'll see in a moment, it's the faith of the one who brought the demon-possessed man to Jesus. Yet in both cases, it was not the extent of their faith, but rather the object of their faith. Getting this wrong leads us into all sorts of false teachings and beliefs. If the healing we desire depends on the depth of our faith, no one would be healed. No one has that kind of faith. Prosperity preachers say that you must sow your seed faith, that what you give, you get, that the good done for you is based on the good you do or the work you put in. How karmic, how repulsive, how me-centered. Does faith play a role in these healings? Absolutely. Jesus says that if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. But faith is not something mustered within us. Faith itself is a gift from God. He opens our spiritual eyes to see our desperate need for Jesus and gives us the ability to put our faith in Jesus to address that need. As we grow to know Jesus, our faith grows too. As we abide in Jesus, we receive life through him. He purifies us, casting light into the darker corners of our hearts and making us more like him. In John's gospel, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John started his gospel by writing that in him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus demonstrated his claim by bringing light to the dark world of these blind men. He opened their eyes so they could truly see. Their faith became sight. Verse 30, And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, See to it that no one knows about it. Jesus knew that his mission was about more than physical healing. He knew the state of these men's souls. Apart from him, they would not experience the healing that they truly needed. As seen in the healing of the paralytic man, which we covered a few weeks ago, Jesus came not primarily to heal the world physically, but to bring life to dead souls, to heal people of their sin. And it's here that I think we find the answer to our earlier question. Why didn't Jesus heal the blind men out on the street when they first called to him? Jesus didn't want their healings to be public displays of power. Next week, we'll see that Jesus has compassion on the crowds around him. And here, his heart no less overflows with compassion for these blind men. He had the power to heal them. He had the desire to heal them. Two things were needed first, though. Privacy and proclamation. Jesus took them into a secret space and unveiled the secret belief of their hearts. They truly believed that he could heal them. And so he did. We're prone to live our lives like the crowds who followed Jesus. Show us a sign so we know you are who you say you are. We chase supernatural stories and experiences. Can Jesus still perform these miracles today? Absolutely. Does he? I've never personally been involved in healings, but I've heard too many stories of healings from friends to deny it. Seeing and experiencing the power of God brings wonder and awe. But it's not what Jesus wants us to rely on as proof of his presence and power. Scripture is foundational and sufficient for salvation and faith in God. This, Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3, From childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Yet in his grace toward us, God has also given us a rich history of the church, personal experiences of his power, and the ability and wisdom to reason and process the things we have heard and seen. Such is the case with these blind men. Jesus charged these now seeing men not to spread the word of their healing since he was not interested in the fame nor the attention. That would only get in the way of his true mission, to seek and to save the lost from their sin and to bring salvation for the whole world. So how do they respond? Verse 31. But they went away and spread his fame throughout all the district. It makes me laugh a little that Jesus asked the blind men to keep this miracle to themselves. Surely for the rest of their lives, they told this story of their healing. They told their families and friends of this Jesus who spoke a word, put his hands on their eyes, and gave them sight. There was no containing this joy or their testimony. Knowing Jesus frees us to speak differently. I'm not sure how Jesus thought this story wouldn't get out to the public. Did he pull the men into a room on their own, like when he healed the dead girl and sent out everyone except his disciples and her parents? The following verses tell us the crowds were still around, and the people expected more healing. So whatever the case, we see Jesus' power and compassion on display, power and compassion that is ours today, as we follow him too. So let's keep going to see another instance of this power, verse 32. As they were going away, that's the blind men, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. Rest would have to wait for the time being. For as the blind and now seeing men went off proclaiming what had been done to them, more people came forward. This time, a man with a demon, possessed and unable to speak, came to Jesus. Notice that the man was brought to him. The man did not come on his own and perhaps didn't even come willingly. In one way or another, this man was hopelessly lost in his possession. The demon had an iron grip on him. Yet it didn't take Jesus much to show his ultimate authority. When the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowd marveled, saying never was anything like this seen in Israel. We don't even get the story of the miracle, just the statement that it happened. But the one who brought this man to Jesus obviously believed Jesus could heal him. They were willing to take the chance on Jesus, and their faith paid off. The man who had been silenced by the demon was cured, and it was the demon now who was silenced and unable to commit its evil work. And the people marveled. They were astonished at the work Jesus performed. Jesus did not just have the power to restore sight to those living in physical darkness. He also had the power to free those living in spiritual darkness. And that means more than demonic deliverance. This man was caught in the iron grip of his sin. Only Jesus would be able to deliver him from that deadly grasp. Apart from Jesus, our natural desire is opposite what God wants. James 1 says, Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Apart from the deliverance Jesus offers for our sins, We will die. The crowd had a right to marvel. What was being done in their presence was marvelous. But Jesus' work to save us from our sin, to save us from death, is more marvelous than having sight and speech restored. To come under the grace of God and receive mercy through the cross of Christ, to embrace life through his resurrection from the dead, to call Jesus Lord and submit to his authority, there we find true deliverance. As we grow now as children of God, we are purified and cleansed, not to receive salvation, but to experience and live out our salvation. This is what Jesus offers. Knowing Jesus frees us to live differently. So we see that Jesus healed the two blind men and the demon-possessed men. However, there were other blind men in the passage that were not healed. Do you see them? It's the Pharisees. They were evidently watching everything unfold along with the crowds, but they couldn't see what God was doing. Verse 34, but the Pharisees said, he casts out demons by the prince of demons. Surely if anyone should have recognized who Jesus was, it would have been the Pharisees who poured over the law and the word of God to ensure they did not break it. They should have seen the signs and realized who was with them, the Messiah, the long-awaited Son of David, the anointed one of God. Simply take Isaiah 35, five and six. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Blind, deaf, lame, mute. We've had three of these four performed by Jesus just in the last chapter alone. And he does heal a deaf man in Mark 7, so check mark. Yet all through this chapter, the Pharisees scoff and accuse Jesus of sin instead of seeing the signs and worshiping. After healing the paralytic, they say he blasphemed for forgiving sin. They considered his dinner with Matthew to make him impure. He touched a dead body and a bleeding woman. That surely would have made him unclean. Now he performed these miracles of restoring sight and casting out demons, and they accused him of having his power come from Satan. There's another healing story found in Matthew 12. Again, Jesus was healing. This time, a demon-possessed man who was both blind and mute. When the miracle took place, the people again used the title Son of David. I mentioned this earlier. They recognized the signs and wondered if Jesus was the Messiah. And the Pharisees again attributed the miracle to the work of Satan. This time, though, Jesus retorted by saying, if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is the spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. In another healing story from John 9, Jesus gave sight to a blind man. When the Pharisees questioned the man, his faith shone brightly for all to see, and the Pharisees were disgusted at Jesus and at the man. Jesus later said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now you say, we see, and so your guilt remains. Jesus, the light of the world. Jesus, the one who overcomes the darkness. Jesus, the one who breaks the hold of demons and spiritual forces. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is freedom from bondage and sin. Encountering the risen Jesus cannot leave us in a state of darkness. He brings all who come to him into the light. Knowing about Jesus is not enough. You have to really know him. So do you see him? Do you know him? Don't blink. Don't miss him. Don't ignore who he is, what he's done. I implore you to come to Jesus and live. If you've never put yourself in his capable hands, do so today. If you're chasing after possessions and securities and comforts in this world, you'll never find rest for your soul. You can have all that the world offers and still lose. Jesus offers life and life to the full. When we focus our eyes on Jesus, life is brought into right perspective. We see our need for Jesus. We see his provision through daily food and shelter and breath and life. We experience the fellowship of his church as we come together in celebration And in trying days, we laugh together, we mourn together, and we can do it because we are truly together with Jesus. Have you experienced his healing touch? Have you experienced the freedom he offers? Or are you still grasping in the dark? Be desperate for Jesus. Be dependent on Jesus. We might be the crowds marveling at Jesus and looking for the next supernatural sign. We might be the Pharisees, Missing the work God is doing and ignoring His immediate presence in our lives, we might be the blind man grasping at faith and in need of Jesus for healing. We might be the mute man in need of others to point us to the truth and freedom Jesus offers. We might be the mute man's friends with people in our lives that we know need to be brought to the one person who can answer their needs. But whatever the case, we are all in need of Jesus. Only Jesus can give us eyes to see the truth of himself and the truth of ourselves. Only Jesus can redeem us to be the people we were made to be. People in loving unity with our Father forever. Knowing Jesus necessarily changes every aspect of our lives.